we're going to have a, a second reading now and uh, we're going to turn back uh, to that episode in Exodus chapter 2 uh, that uh, Stephen uh, referred to, Exodus chapter 2, it's on page 45 in your uh, church uh, Bible. And we'll read from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Actually, we'll read from verse uh, 10, I think. Page 45, Exodus chapter 2. And let's read uh, from uh, verse uh, 10. When the child, that is Moses, grew older, uh, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, uh, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Uh, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh, then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. Uh, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he, that he might eat bread? Where have you left the man, rather? Call him that you may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to, uh, to a son, and, she, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenants with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. So reads God's word. Let's, let, let's pray, shall we, as we look at this passage. Do keep your Bible open at Exodus 2. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each of our hearts truly might be acceptable in your sight. 
O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Help us, we pray this morning, to lean more upon you as you show us something more of your greatness and your love for us in the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I don't know what difficulties, or certainly all of them, that you're facing as we come to look at this passage together this morning. Uh, but I want to testify personally that being assured that God saw and God knew all that we've been through as a family this, morning, this week uh, with uh, the loss of Jenny's dad, that has brought us the greatest of comfort. That has made all of the difference. That God knows. This morning, I want us to see what it means, or something of what it means for God to know, and what it looks like for God to know when, when life seems bitter and, and dark and confusing. The two points uh, this morning. Uh, the, the first point, far longer than the second, uh, but hopefully uh, that uh, prepares us for the second point. Here's the first uh, point coming up on the screen. The Lord God provides and prepares on his timetable. The Lord God provides and prepares on his timetable. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 10, we leave this child, the baby Moses, secured in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, this uh, daughter of uh, the Egyptian king, Pharaoh, who had pity on this Hebrew babe that she'd found in the waters of the Nile. Uh, and already, uh, as Moses the child is found, almost 400 years uh, in slavery, four centuries of suffering for God's people have passed. Hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Hard for us to imagine how certainly hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of Israelites who knew nothing different from a life as a slave, from the constant threat of death. One commentator says that the Israelites, they were born into slavery, they grew up in slavery, they moved towards death in slavery, and the days of darkness still continued. Slavery, darkness, death for four centuries. But now, after all of that time, and unbeknown to the Israelites at large, the arrival of a saviour, the man God will use to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt by, by drawing them out of the land of death, through the, the waters of the, the Red Sea, to into the wilderness to worship him. God's saviour... Moses first symbolically travels through uh, that journey before them. That's what we saw last week, wasn't it? Moses, uh, the baby, remember, plunged into the waters of death, encased in that ark, to be raised, to be reborn, uh, named and established in the royal household. God, we said last week, saves the saviour. Moses, the one who was drawn out of the Nile. And then what happens? Chapter 2 and verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up. That one day 
hides a lot, doesn't it? It hides another 40 long years passing since Moses was a baby. 40 years since God saved the one he will use to save his people. We read from Acts chapter 7 how Stephen, testifying to God's faithfulness to his people, how he focuses on these events in Exodus chapter 2. And uh, Stephen uh, tells us in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. For Moses, it's been 40 years of training and equipping, uh, uh, prepared in the best universities of Egypt. What about for the other Israelites? 40 more years of suffering, of slavery for God's people. There are no quick fixes here, are there? In fact, uh, the incidents which caused Moses to flee Egypt, the killing of the uh, Egyptian taskmaster, his seeking to, to judge uh, these two Hebrews, they lead Moses into the wilderness of Midian uh, for another 40 years, a further 40 years, uh, of a slavery in Egypt for God's people. All of that time, God's people feeling daily the bitter life of slavery in the land of death. Waiting and, and, and hoping and, and longing. And yet as they wait and as they hope and as they long, there is no light at all seemingly on the horizon. I don't know about you, I think it's true of all of us, it is certainly true of me. We are hopeless at waiting, aren't we? Today as a society, we, we just presume everything needs to be instant. Uh, next day delivery, delivery really is too short for us. You can order something and, and get it coming that evening. But it is the, the same, uh, the same is true, isn't it? Spiritually for us. We are impatient. We do not like waiting. God, if you save me, why am I still struggling in sin? Why is it, Lord, if you save me and brought me to yourself, uh, the king of the universe, why is it that life for your child is so hard? God, can you just take away the bad stuff now? We work in days and weeks. And God, he works in lifetimes. God works to his own timetable. His timetable is always right. His timetable is always best. Uh, just think, uh, look, look at the, the previous page. Genesis ends, doesn't it? Uh, the last few chapters of Genesis. It, it ends with that gripping story of Joseph and of uh, Jacob's sons going down into Egypt. It, it's a thrilling story. You turn to the beginning of uh, Exodus that we've been in in the last few weeks. Um, uh, we see Israel's fruitfulness in the midst of their bitter circumstances of slavery. We, we've heard about those two faithful midwives, the story of one child saved from the waters of death. And it is, isn't it, as we read our Bible accounts, action, 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 action. But the hope that all of the action, rather, it happens, doesn't it, over, over lifetimes, over generations. Generations of people for centuries waiting in darkness. So for many lifetimes of longing, of painful 
hoping, waiting for God to work, and, and seemingly still no change. I want us to see this morning how God works on his own timetable. We see it all over the Bible. We see it with Abraham, don't we? Remember, God promises Abraham a child, and then it's, it's how long? Nine months? No, 25 years to wait. God promises Abraham a land of blessing, uh, flowing with milk and honey for Abraham's descendants. And then says, first Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they'll be slaves there. And they'll be afflicted for 400 years. Why the wait? As Moses kills this Egyptian, as he confronts these Hebrews, as he ends up in Midian, uh, many commentators... They suggest, well, you know what, humanly speaking, this is like a, a diversion, something of a, of a deviation from the plans uh, for Israel's salvation. This is impetuous Moses, uh, and he puts God's plan somehow back uh, another 40 years, but, but God is good and he gives Moses another chance. Almost as if the, the 400 years of slavery, the, the 40 years of Moses growing up, the 40 extra years of Moses in the wilderness... Almost as if they serve no purpose. They're not part of God's plan. Just waiting. We need to grasp that humanly, there is no humanly speaking when it comes to God's timetable, is there? Every decade, every year, every month, every day, every minute is full of purpose in God's plans. I wonder whether we believe that. God working out his, prom his promises and his purpose in the moments and the days when there seems to be action and crisis and significant events. God working out his plans in the one day when Moses grows up and he goes out uh, to look upon his people with their burdens. But equally, God working out his purposes in the days and in the years and in the decades and in the centuries of darkness and of waiting in the lifetimes of hard painful toil when there seems to be no end to the misery and I want us to see this morning that not a moment is wasted by God not one moment passes that God hadn't purposed according to his eternal plans as we sat in the hospital uh, last Sunday night Life ebbing away in front of us. Faced with death, our prayers changed. Our prayers changed from, from, from Lord, we, we pray for recovery. Lord, we, we, we pray for strength for more time. Our prayers changed. Oh Lord, please let your child go to be with you in your good time. Lord, please don't delay, don't let him linger. You see, it's tempting to think, isn't it, that once we've said our goodbyes, once there doesn't seem to be anything else to look forward to, that the laboured breaths, the painful moments, that they serve no purpose. Lord, just let, let them be over as quickly as possible. Lord, why not now than in a few hours or days' time? What purpose... Could an extra hour of life at its weakness, at its most bitter, what purpose could an extra few laboured breaths possibly serve? 
Friend, God does not waste a single moment, not a single breath, not in the centuries of slavery in Egypt, not in the mundane years, uh, nor in the, 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 the painful, hard circumstances of, of my life and yours. Every fraction of every moment, every breath, full of purpose, the purpose of God. One day, not when Moses had grown up, but one day when the Lord Jesus returns again, God will reveal how his timetable, how his purposes in the years of bitterness and heartache, every last moment, how they have all worked for the glory and honour of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder whether we believe that, that every moment, purposed by God, to display one day the, the, the glory of Christ. Easy to think, I think, as we look at this chapter, that it is simply getting us to the point where Moses, uh, where God is about to deliver his people. Uh, this chapter, the end of this chapter, just uh, sees God call Moses uh, to be deliver, to be the deliverer in chapter 3. And, and before we get to God calling Moses, here's just a bit of interesting background about Moses. Uh, Moses gets a wife. Moses gets a, a, a son. These words, I want to suggest, they show us how God uses the moments and the days and the years to provide a deliverer for his people, to prepare Moses the deliverer, and to prepare his people to be delivered. Moses is presented here, isn't he, as the deliverer, uh, three times. I don't know if you notice that in verses 11 to 22. First, Moses rescues the Hebrew from, uh, uh, from the Egyptian taskmaster. Uh, then the Hebrew uh, uh, suffering at the hands of his Hebrew brother. Uh, and then finally, uh, Moses rescued these uh, seven daughters of Raul, or, or Jethro, as he's uh, more commonly called in the next chapter, from the thuggish uh, shepherds. Moses is, is seen as the deliverer again and again here, and he is clearly a remarkable man of faith, even here in these verses, isn't he? But Moses isn't the finished product. He, he's not yet equipped to deliver, uh, the, to, to be the mediator, ready to lead God's people out of their slavery. Uh, I, I read one commentator this week. I thought it was great. He said, think of Moses as a fruit, an apple, a banana, a pear. Moses, he says, was certainly not yet ripe for the arduous contests which awaited him. And that's true, isn't he? Moses is a man of faith, and yet he's not yet the saviour that God would have him be. Life in the royal court has hardly equipped Moses for the continual anxieties and the hardships that will lie ahead for him. And yet Moses is this remarkable man of faith. Moses literally had it all. He is a prince in Egypt. And yet he goes out to look at these oppressed slaves, not because he wants to make sure that Pharaoh is getting his money's worth, but rather because his heart bleeds for them. One day when Moses had grown up, look at verse 11, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of... His people, his people, his brother. Though raised in the palace, Moses knew that he belonged to uh, 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 these Israelites and he isn't content just to remain in the palace and, and, and to pray for the people. He feels their injustice. 
He identifies with them. This isn't just uh, some people being oppressed. No, no, this is Moses' people, my people. Moses is, is clearly aware of who he is. He, he's an Israelite. He, he's one of them. Uh, no doubt Moses looked physically more like a descendant of Abraham than a descendant of uh, Pharaoh. Uh, maybe Pharaoh's uh, daughter had shared with him how she'd raised him uh, from the waters of the Nile. But more than that, as we read in verse 10, Moses' own name testifies to him who he was. He is the one drawn out of water. He's named by Pharaoh's daughter, and yet he's given a, a Hebrew name. Moses is a Hebrew name. Actually, his name, Moses, is a, an active participle. The grammar, grammarians can tell me what that is. His name actually means not the one who was drawn out, but rather the one who will draw out, the one who draws out. His name is a constant reminder to Moses, not just of who he is, but who he will be. The one who was drawn out by God of the waters and the one who God will use to draw out his people from their slavery in Egypt through the waters of death to be free to worship. Maybe we think, well, that's a big ask, isn't it, for Moses to grasp all of that from his name? But it is faith that takes the promise of God to Abraham. You will be sojourners, slaves in a land for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation and you shall come out with great possessions. It's faith that takes God's promise and takes his own name, Moses, the one who draws out and is not content to leave God's people in their plight. And that's why Moses does what he does here. He, he sides with the slaves. He sides with the oppressed. He goes from living in the palace to living in a tent in Midian. He goes from being a prince to being a fugitive. Uh, and that's pointed out to us in the New Testament. Not in Acts chapter 7 this time, but in Hebrews chapter 11. He, Hebrews 11 uh, and verse 24, the writer to Hebrews says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, Moses grasped that the reward of God's people was greater than his inheritance in Egypt. Moses grasped that it was better to be a slave and a fugitive and to be one of God's people. He, he trusted it was better to be misrepresented, to be oppressed, even to be thrown into the waters of death as one of God's people. For Moses knew from his own experience that the Lord God is the one who is able to raise his people from the waters of death, who had done so for Moses and who would, do, who would do so for his people. It cost Moses everything to identify with God's people. And friend, this morning, it will, it must cost us something to identify with God's people. Uh, some of you will know Vaughan Roberts. He's the vicar at uh, St. Ebbs in Oxford. 
Uh, Vaughan Roberts tells the story of how he was in a local shop one day and he heard the, uh, the shopkeeper uh, talking to somebody about how awful it was that those Christians uh, were opposing same-sex marriage. Standing uh, there, Vaughan chipped in, oh, uh, I'm a Christian. Oh, no, 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 said the shopkeeper. I, I mean those loony born-again Christian types. Yes, said Vaughan, that's me. I'm one of those. I'm a, a born-again Christian. Clearly the tension was mounting a little bit and the, the shopkeeper tried again. Well, to be honest, I, I, I'm just talking about those, those wicked, spiteful Christians up at St. Ebb's Church who are just vile in their oppression to gay marriage. Ah, said Vaughan, I, I'm the vicar at St. Ebb's. It will cost us something to identify as Christ's people. Not just to identify with Christ, but also to identify with his bride, his people, with the Christians who you wish were just a little bit cooler and hipper, a bit less angular and awkward. It will cost us something in the classroom or in the office, uh, with our neighbours uh, and with our family. It'll cost us something to be known as one of God's people. Oh, but friends, we can know for certain, can't we, that it costs the Lord Jesus Christ everything for us to be counted as one of his flock. He gave up the riches, not of Egypt, but of heaven that you might be called his, his child, his son, his daughter. It's unclear, I think, here whether uh, Moses intended to kill the Egyptian or, or what he thought he was going to achieve. But he, he believes God will be true to his promises, that he will deliver and that God will use even him. Those words in Acts chapter 7, Stephen uh, about to be martyred for his faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Stephen focuses on this account of Moses as he, uh, as he kills the Egyptian, as he intervenes in the Hebrew quarrel. Why on earth does Stephen uh, pick these events of all of the events in the Old Testament? Stephen uh, tells us in uh, Acts chapter 7 and verse 25, we read, that Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. You see, Moses grasped he was the deliverer that God was raising up. Moses understood it. But God's people did not understand. And they rejected the Saviour. Who made you to be a prince and a judge over us? This man says. Just think, would any Hebrew slave ever have said uh, anything like that to one of their Egyptian taskmasters? Who made you to be the judge over me? And yet they will not have this man, Moses, to rule over them. And that's a tragedy. Stephen points to it in Acts chapter 7. This is how God's people treated Moses. And even more tragically, this is just how you are rejecting the one that Moses points to that Moses foreshadowed the Lord Jesus. God using these years in, 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 uh, as Moses is in Midian, not only to prepare Moses to be the, the needed deliverer, but also to prepare God's people so that they will accept God's deliverer, God's provision for them. Fearful of Moses, fearful of Pharaoh rather, Moses, he runs away southeast to Midian to desert scrubland. The Midianites, they are distant relatives of Israel through Abraham's second wife, Keturah. 
Over 40 years, Moses takes one of Raoul's daughters, uh, whom he's uh, rescued from these shepherds, and Zipporah, his wife, well, she has this son. Verse 22, Moses called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. I'd been a sojourner in a foreign land. Which land was Moses talking about there? Was it Midian? Is that the land Moses was a sojourner in, a foreign land? Yes, it was. Was it Egypt? Was that the foreign land that Moses was a sojourner in? Yes, it was. There is huge faith here again shown in Moses. God promised his people a land, and Moses is saying, as he names his son, we are not there yet, we are not at home, we're still sojourners. We are exiles, we're awaiting God's deliverance. And yet not a moment without purpose in God's plans. Friend, let me say to you this morning, whatever circumstances God's placed you in at the moment, don't think that God is wasting your time when life is not just as you'd want it. When it feels like you're just waiting for God to strike. Lord, why am I, why am I still single? Lord, why am I still in this job that I don't like? Uh, Lord, uh, why, do I, why am I still living here when I had plans to be there? Oh, friend, God is up to far more than you know. He is always working his purposes. And we need to grasp this morning that at times God places us in seeming wildernesses for 10 or 20 or 40 years in order that he might change us, in order that he might use us. God provides, God prepares, but he does so on his timetable. Not one moment wasted. Secondly, and far more briefly, I want us to see that the Lord remembers and the Lord knows you see, while God was doing all of this to prepare Moses and to provide his people with a, a deliverer, God had not neglected, had he, the suffering people. He was not unaware of what was happening. Look at verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God heard, God remembered, God saw and God knew. The God who never ever forgets, he remembered. He remembered his covenant promises that he put his name to. God isn't like us, is he? It's not the word to think that there's God saying, oh, what was it I said to Abraham? Oh, I remember what I uh, said to Isaac. God remembering is biblical language for God acting on the promises that he's made. We need to make sure we're not confused as Christians. God has said that in the Lord Jesus, he will remember my sins no more. That is, he won't count the debt uh, as owing because in his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price in full. We shouldn't act, should we, as though God remembers our sins. We shouldn't uh, think God's going to hold up our sins and bring them out against us just at the uh, worst possible moment. But we are to rejoice that the Lord always remembers his covenant promises. That he does not forget he will not act uh, towards us 
in any way that's against his promises to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. God will not, God cannot look at you and I, if we're believers this morning, apart from seeing us as belonging to, united to the Lord Jesus. He cannot see you this morning apart from being washed clean by the blood of the covenant shed on the cross. God, your God, remembers. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Well, friends, I, I cannot tell you the comfort that those words are to the believer. God knows. When children uh, lose a relative, as our kids have this week, in their crying, in their weeping, not knowing what to do with their emotions, what is it the children need most? They don't, do they need to be sat down and, and have all of the whys and the wherefores explained to them? And maybe a time will come for that. But simply what they have, what they want, what they need is to have mum or dad give them a, a huge hug, uh, to hold them tight, to show their love and to say to them, I know, I know. And that I know, it's not just I know the facts. It's not just, oh, I, I know how you're feeling. It's more than that, isn't it? It's I know and I'm here for you. It is, I know, and I care for you. I, I know, and, and in your weakness, you are not on your own. In the suffering, in the pain, in the anxiety and the fears, you can be sure that God hears your cries. But not one tear wasted. God sees, God remembers, and God knows. Friends, I, I don't know what difficult situations you're facing. I don't know what pain and suffering awaits maybe you and me this coming week or how long that will last. I cannot tell you all that God is doing or why he's not yet taken away the grief, the difficulties in answer to your cries. But I do know on God's sure and true word that God knows. And knowing that makes all of the difference for the believer. Some of us know what it is to cry out to God day after day, year after year, for a lifetime. And we wonder, maybe, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Well, friends, these Israelites, they went through four centuries of slavery. They went through oppression and darkness. And on God's timetable, there was not a moment of that time wasted. Our God... He does not forget. He hears our prayers. He sees our pain. He knows. At this table that we're about to come around this morning, that we're about to celebrate at, it reminds us, doesn't it? It assures us that our God remembers. A covenant that he has made with us in his own blood. God says to us at this table this morning, I know and I remember. I have acted to save, to deliver, to keep you for myself in my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God saw his people and God knew.